This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. Well, uh, my name is Stephen. I am uh, the creative director, creative arts pastor here at Christian Life. And uh, if this is your first time here at Christian Life Church, first off, I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Today is actually a really uh, perfect time to jump in uh, to what we're uh, doing here at Christian Life Church. We have been going through a few changes over the past few months. Uh, Those who have been here know this. Uh, And some of you have just uh, jumped in on the bandwagon just in the past uh, few weeks since we started making these changes. But today we are kicking off a brand new series called My Church is kind of a big deal. And I'm really excited to be uh, kicking off this series today because this is something I'm very passionate about. I'm extremely passionate about the local church, and I honestly, truly believe that the church is a huge deal, that my church, our church, the church, is a huge deal. I really believe that, and so I'm really excited to get to talk to you guys about that today. So before we get uh, any further, I'd like to just take a moment and pray over the service. So if everybody just bow their heads real quick. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for everything that you're doing and everything you're going to do. God, you are more than enough. You are everything that we need. And God, it is an honor. It is an honor to preach your son's name. It is an honor to speak your word. And God, I thank you that as I speak today, that there are those here in this room who they, their hearts are prepared and that this is exactly what they're needing to hear and that they're ready to jump on with us. In Jesus' name, may your word be preached forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, as I said, we're kicking off a series today called My Church is, a, is, My Church is Kind of a Big Deal. And I truly believe that the church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. You know, I grew up hearing Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and that, by all means, is absolutely true. But uh, about uh, two, th- two, to th- about two or three years ago, I heard someone say, the local church is the hope of the world. And I was kind of like, uh, okay, well, what does that mean? And they said, well, here's the thing. Jesus is the hope of the world, but like Paul said, how will they know if someone isn't teaching them? The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is what Jesus Christ established in place. It was the very last thing he did before he left this earth, was he established the local church in place in order to prepare the world for his kingdom. All right? And here's the great thing about it. We all get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of it. You know, there are a lot of people in the world, in Montgomery, that they would say that the church really isn't that big of a deal. Church isn't really a big deal in their life. In fact, for them, church is a little bit more kind of like an extracurricular activity. It's something that, you know, they'll come to church maybe on like when grandma's in town or on like special occasions or holidays, you know, Christmas and Easter. There are a lot of people in Montgomery, there are people who come to Christian Life Church. They call Christian Life Church home, but they only come here on Christmas and Easter. And we can talk about them because we know they're not here. So, but 
there are a lot of people who, church, just really, it's not something that is that big of a deal to them. I don't really, you know, they're kind of like, I, I don't just, it's not something that I see as important. And then there are other people who they would swear up and down that church is a really big part of their life. Church is a really big deal to them. And what I have a problem with is so much is really more their idea of what church is or what church should be. Uh, And it's really what they think of church as is they prefer a church where it's centered more around them. It's more like a country club for Christians. It's a Christian country club. And everything is centered around me. It's for people like me, people who talk like me, walk like me, dress like me, look like me, sound like me. They like the things I like. It's for people like me. And that is not at all what Jesus Christ died on the cross. He would not hang on the cross just so that I could have a place for people like me. Jesus hung on the cross and sacrificed his life and rose from the dead so that everyone could be reached. It's not about me. It's about them. Because, you know, and I can sympathize with the churches that they do think that way. I, I can sympathize with them because it's difficult. It is hard to week in, week out, think about people who don't know the gospel, people who don't understand all this. You know, um, growing up as a, a pastor's son, my dad is the senior pastor of the church. And uh, growing up as a pastor's kid, as a preacher's son, I got to see things from a little bit different perspective than most people. I also had the opportunity to visit a lot of churches. My dad would be going and preaching at a church somewhere, and usually like during the summertime, he'd let me go with him. And so I got to, you know, see a lot of different churches. Plus, I lived uh, out in Los Angeles and in Nashville uh, as an adult. And during that time, my wife and I visited a lot of different churches. And I understand for people who are new to church, maybe, maybe you haven't been to a church in a long time, or maybe you've never been to church. Maybe this is something that you, for the first time in your life, are trying out. It can kind of be a little bit jarring, You know, going to a new church can really almost be kind of like boarding a train that's already going about 60 miles per hour. You can get on. It is possible, but it can be kind of difficult because you don't know who anybody is. You don't recognize anyone around you. You walk in and, you know, they're kind of friendly, like, hey, welcome to church. But then they're all just kind of talking amongst themselves. And you're like, where the heck do I go? Where do I take my kids? Where's the bathroom? You have no idea what's going on. You don't know... You know, I mean, you don't know any of the songs. You don't know why the preacher has his hair that way. You, you have no idea if the woman down in the front row with the tambourine is moved by the spirit or has a mental disability. You don't know what's going on. The preacher walks up and he's speaking in tongues, but it's not the biblical tongues. He's speaking in Christianese. He walks up and he's like, well, hallelujah, good morning. Is everyone covered in the blood this morning? Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. you filled with the spirit, amen. And you're just like, who are these people? Who talks like this? This is so weird. And so you're just trying to figure out, but I mean, that's what it can be like when you're new at church. If you're not a church person, you come to church and you're like, okay, I'm wanting to try this out, but I really just feel extremely uncomfortable because this is not me. So here's the situation. It's not that those churches that are doing that have ill intentions or that they don't care. Because if you were to ask them, they honestly would tell you they do care. They want to reach the lost. 
But if you haven't been lost for a really long time, if you've been a Christian for a really long time, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to remember what it was like. It's hard to see things from the perspective of somebody who is new because this is old hat to you. Why don't they get it? It's easy. They're doing that because of this. And that's what happens when a church builds itself around itself. It builds itself around Christians. It's building and doing everything in order to make it comfortable for the people who come to church every weekend. They're the ones that are going to be here anyways, right? You know, I, uh, I remember in junior high, I had a gym coach, Coach Moore. I went to Baldwin. And uh, I think he just retired. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, a teenager, and they were talking about Coach Moore. I was like, oh my gosh, he was still coaching? But uh, he was awesome. He was really cool. I remember around Easter, the uh, school newspaper or whatever, uh, newsletter, they put out an issue, you know, around spring and all that stuff. And, and one of the questions they were asking people is, you know, what is Chris, uh, what, sorry, what does Easter mean to you? And different people had different answers, you know. And Coach Moore, his quote was in there. He said, Easter is about me going to church and find someone else sitting in my family's pew. <laughs> and, and he was joking. But, you know, there was a little bit of truth in his humor. There's a little bit of truth in the way that he felt. You know, I mean, if anybody's going to get special treatment, it should be me. I'm the one that's here every single week. I've paid my dues. I'm the one who's been supporting this church through all these years. Why do these people who are just walking in get to sit in my seat? Why do we give them special treatment? But here's the thing. Like I said earlier, Jesus did not die so that I can have my seat. Jesus did not die so that I could be comfortable. Jesus died so that I could get saved, and then I could find other people and win other people. The church is a big deal. My church is kind of a big deal. My church is a really big deal. And not, we're not saying this in a pompous way, kind of like, well, it's Christian life is what, Christian life church is the big deal. I believe this about every church in Montgomery. I think every church in the world should have this mentality because you know what? Church of the Highlands, Fraser, all the different churches around here, they're not in competition with us. We're not in competition with them. We're on a team together to reach this city. And you know what? If every single person in this city went to church this morning, we wouldn't have enough churches to fill, to, uh, to be able to take the people in. This city needs people who are on fire for God, who are excited about the local church. Like I said, I'm very passionate about this because I truly believe with all my heart that the local church is the hope of the world. Um, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. Uh, I, uh, different churches, you know, the church I grew up in, and then uh, churches that I visit and everything. Uh, and for those of you who aren't, uh, who, who haven't been saved for a long time, who haven't, church hasn't been a part of your life for a really long time, 
Uh, let me give you a little backstory. Uh, Christian music went through kind of a weird phase back when I was a kid, uh, back in like the 80s. It was in this really, like all the church music was just kind of in this weird Russian Jewish vibe. Everything was like, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And everything was just like, you kept waiting for like the little Russian dude to like come out. And hey! You know, and some people did do that, but they did it more like this. And called it the charismatic two-step, I think. Um, <laughs> but, you know, music, Christian music, uh, praise and worship music when I was a kid, was in this just really weird, awkward stage that was like nothing else you ever heard. Everything you just, it, you felt like, I don't know, you... <laughs> You felt like you just got done visiting another country after you left. Um, you know, and growing up, you know, music has always been a big part of my life. Music is something I've always really paid attention to. And back then when I was a kid, I mean, church would go on for like two, three plus hours, you know. And so we would be singing this, you know, for like 45 minutes, an hour long. You know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's going on and on and on. I was... Uh, this guy that uh, I was talking to, um, he's a creative director at another church, and, you know, he was talking about the same thing and, and the music that we grew up with in the church. And don't get me wrong, it was perfect for the time, you know. It, 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 a lot of great things happened during that. But he was talking about when he was a kid, he remembers the same songs. And in their children's church, there was this lady there on the keyboard, and she was kind of a a larger woman, and so she's sitting on the keyboard, and she's kind of bouncing around, you know, she's singing this song, and it's just going on and on and on, and just think, when you think you can't take any more, she does it again, but in a different key, and it's just going on and on, and finally, she, she, you know, after about 45 minutes, she's like, boys and girls, don't you know, one day we're going to do this in heaven, forever. He said, well, lady, I think you got heaven mixed up with another place. It's down below and a lot hotter. Because <laughs> that doesn't sound like my idea of a good time. But, you know, years later, he said that he went to this uh, U2 concert. It was uh, mid to late 90s, and it was the U2 pop art tour. Awesome, awesome show. I'm a huge U2 fan. Love U2. And he said it was about halfway through the show, and they broke out into their song, Pride in the Name of Love, which is an awesome song that U2 does uh, about Martin Luther King Jr. And so they're doing this song, and it's just like this big, just anthem-type song. It's real epic. And it's just, in the name of love, one night. It's awesome. Man. It's a great song. And he said he's sitting there singing at the top of his lungs, and he kind of just looks over, and he sees someone out of the corner of his eye, and it's this guy, this total complete stranger next to him that he's never met who's sitting there at the same time just you know just singing at the top of his lungs in the name of love and they look over at each other and it was this moment where you think it would be really awkward you know have you ever been driving your car and you're singing along with the radio and you're just like yeah and then you get to the red light and then you kind of just kind of act like you're not really because you know that if you like got if someone saw you singing that, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I know what you're doing. You know, it's that in the shower singing. It's the kind of, you'd totally be embarrassed if you, you know, if someone saw you doing that. You're just letting it all out. 
And so that's what he was doing, and so was the other guy. And they didn't know each other, and they looked at each other. It was this moment where it would be normally really awkward and just kind of like, whoa, that's embarrassing. But they didn't feel any of that. In fact, they felt really comfortable. They felt this sense of pride. It was like, yeah, man, this is awesome. This is so cool. We're, we're here. We're actually here, dude. This is so awesome. And he said that in that moment, the words of that worship leader came back to him. When we get to heaven, we'll worship like this. And he thought, now that is something I could be a part of. And I can totally relate to that because, you know, I've gone to my share of concerts and tell you what, you know, a concert going two, three plus hours, you leave there and you're just like, oh my gosh, you got this adrenaline rush. You don't even want to go home. You're just like, I could do that again right now. And that's how I believe the church should be. Not that, you know, it should be like two, three plus hours, but that it should be something that when you leave, you're like, I cannot wait to go back. That was awesome. I got to grab somebody. I got to find somebody. They got to come here. This is amazing. I want to do that again right now. And, you know, it's not so much about, you know, I'm not talking about creating a concert. It's not so much about, like, the lights and, you know, and, and all the different stuff and the band. It's, it's about being a part of something bigger than me. Being a part of something bigger than myself. Because we all have something inside of us that's longing to be a part of something. Something bigger than me. Something that is for a cause. The church is the ultimate cause. The church is a really big deal. You know, I got scripture back this up. I think it'd be good if we, you know, we're in church, probably be good if we looked at some, something in the Bible. So, I'm uh, reading from Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 13. If you have uh, your Bible or your iPad or iPhone, I'm reading from uh, the NIV, if you want to follow along. And verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that that the Son of Man is? They replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, This is, uh, you know, some of you are probably really familiar with this scripture. Some of you may not be. This is a very uh, controversial uh, verse of scripture. I've heard this all my life. And here's why it's controversial is because there's a lot of different thoughts as to what Jesus is referring to when he says, upon this rock I will build my church. And so what I want to do today is uh, I want to give you, present to you the different thoughts of what uh, Jesus was saying, what people, different uh, scholars think that Jesus was talking about. So the first thing that, uh, that, that, the first thought, the rule of thumb that I grew up hearing, uh, and especially if you grew up in like a Catholic church, 
This is something that, uh, that you know, the Catholics strongly believe. And it says that uh, Peter, the name Peter actually means rock. Actually, it means little rock or, or rocky. And so the Catholics and some different people believe that Jesus was referring to Peter. He's saying, Peter, yeah, you're right. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. And so they say that that's where the Pope comes from, that that's when Jesus made Peter the first Pope of the church. And that's where, that's where they get the Pope. And, you know, I think that that is, there is some truth in that, because Peter actually was a huge, huge uh, uh, person involved in the starting of the church. He was very involved in it, uh, leading the church when it first started. Uh, the second, second thought is that uh, Jesus is talking about himself. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon me, I will build this thing. And all throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament and New, God is referred to as a rock, as a stone. And uh, in fact, the New Testament says that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. And so the second thought is that Jesus is talking about himself. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Um, The third rule of uh, thought is that Jesus is talking about the revelation that Peter had when he realized that Jesus is the Messiah. You're right, and upon this rock I will build my church on the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe also that to be true. I believe all three of these to be true. I think the scripture is noticeably ambiguous here because I think God wanted it to be that way. In fact, I think there's a lot of scripture in the Bible that God intended for it to be ambiguous because there's so much more depth than we can comprehend in the way God thinks. And so that's why you can read something over and over again and then one day get something completely different out of it. But uh, what I want to do is I want to bring forth a fourth uh, thought, not to overrule the other ones, but just strictly to add to Because, again, I think the other ones, I think there's truth in all three of those. And so I want to bring another thought in. Uh, What I want to do is we're going to give you a little backstory. When studying Scripture, this is something that should definitely come in handy, is uh, you always want to think about where this is being said and who is it being said to. What's going on at the time? So what I want to do is I'm going to give you a little backstory about uh, what was going on historically and culturally at this point in scripture. Uh, At the beginning, it says that Jesus and them arrived in the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a a city that was built by Herod the Great's son, uh, Philip. Now, the way it would work is Rome was ruling over uh, the Jews, and what they did was they, instead of putting a Roman officer to lead the city in place at every city, a lot of times what they do is they would actually allow a Jewish person to rule over the city, kind of be like, you know, the the mayor of the city, and they would report to the Roman government. And so uh, to honor the Roman government for allowing them to do this, because the person who got to do this would get like a huge, like just, you know, they lived the life of a king. And so what they would do is they would a lot of times build something as a memorial or an honor of Caesar. And so what Philip did, the guy who was King Philip, he was uh, over the city, he wanted to build something in honor of Caesar. So he built uh, this great city, and he named it Caesar, 
Caesarea. But the only problem was there's another town called Caesarea, so what he did was he put his own name in there, Caesarea Philippi. And so here's Caesarea Philippi, but he didn't choose this location just by random. This is actually a location where there was a, uh, a shrine that had been built. So if you could throw up that picture on the screen of uh, Caesarea Philippi, right there is the, the location. And it was right at the base of this huge, beautiful rock, this big, beautiful rock wall. At the base of it was a temple. There was a cave, and in the cave was a spring. And this spring was one of the, uh, was one of the main feeds of the Jordan River. And what happened was they built a shrine there to the Greek god Pan. And Pan was a sick, sick god. In fact, if you were to look, be able to look closer at the picture, there's actually, you can see carvings into the stone, into the wall, and uh, little, like, idols and stuff put up for him. And Pan was a sick god. He was half man, half goat. He uh, was depicted as with male genitalia in a state of full arousal. arousal. He, uh, I'm taking the risk of being very crass because I want you to get the picture of this, of how disgusting of a place this was. And it was a place that was very centered around idol worship and sex. And the way the story went with Pan was that Pan would, uh, during the rainy season, that, that he was alive, and at the end of the rainy season, he would die and descend down into hell. And he would stay there until the start of the next rainy season, which was a sign that he had had sex with another god and that he was alive again. And that's when the rain would come. So here at this spot, Caesarea Philippi, they would do idol worship and they had this temple there where they would honor him and there were temple prostitutes and all this stuff. It was a very, very sick place. If you ever to go there, which if you weren't, if, if you were a good Jew, you'd never go there. You'd never go there because it was just a disgusting, filthy place. And now Jesus is walking them 28 miles into the center of Sin City. You know, you can imagine this place was probably very gross feeling. Have you ever been somewhere? Think about it. If there's ever a time in your life, a place where you've been or some people you've been around where you just felt like you needed to take a shower after being there. You know, uh, you, you just felt, there's just, I don't know, it's almost like this heaviness. You just, you feel gross afterwards. You just feel like, ugh. I can imagine that's what Caesarea Philippi was like. It was beautiful, but it just had this, ugh, about it. It was gross. There was a lot of sick things going on there. So, Jesus walks in there, and, you know, I kind of wonder, I'm like, did the disciples know where they were going? Like, did Jesus tell them, hey, we're going to go to Caesarea Philippi? Or did he just kind of let them figure it out on their own? Like, you know, he's just walking, talking, and, you know, they're kind of like, where are we going? Because it looks like we're headed to, no, he wouldn't be taking us there. It's, it is, he, he's taking us there. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This is, this is gross. This is disgusting. This is sick. I don't want to be here. I've never been here. I don't want to be here. This is disgusting. So Jesus walks in there, 28 miles into the center of Sin City, and he just says, who do people say I am? 
you ever like read the scripture and Jesus just kind of asks this question just kind of like out of nowhere and you're just kind of like, okay, Jesus, I love you, but what the heck are you talking about? It's so random seeming because here it is, they're in this place that they were never supposed to go. It was very gross. And Jesus just kind of is like, so, uh, you know, what, what have people been saying? <laughs> you know, and they're like, I don't, I don't, I don't know Jesus. Uh, some people say John the Baptist, you know, Jeremiah, Elijah, other prophets. I, I don't know. I don't know. And Jesus says, well, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and he says, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That God, Pan, he's dead. But you're the son of the living God. And I want to look back at Jesus' response. And with what I've told you about Caesarea Philippi and all this, listen to Jesus' response and see if you get something else. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, you are a little rock. But upon this rock, and you can put that slide back up, but upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I mean, is it just me or does it seem kind of coincidental that Jesus takes them to this place and he's standing in front of this place that they have no business being to stand in front of this big giant rock and he's talking about rocks, but I don't mean that rock. I I don't think so. Also, when Pan would descend to hell, he would go through that cave down into the spring, down to hell. And the, uh, they called it the gates of hell, is what the name of that spring was. They called it the gates of Sheol. The, gates, the Greeks called it gates of Hades. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, so what exactly was Jesus saying? Well, I think he was saying a lot of things, but I think one thing he was saying is that my church, this church I'm going to build, it's going to be big. It's going to be really big. It's going to go into the darkest places in the world. It's going to go to the places that are sick and disgusting, and it's going to find people who are hurting, and it's going to reach out and the gates of hell, the things that are going on in those areas, even what's going on in this, this sick, disgusting thing, it won't even be able to overcome and stand against what you're going to be bringing with you. I think that that's what Jesus was saying. That this church is going to be huge. It's not going to be something that's just sheltered away waiting with a bunch of Christians just sitting there waiting for Jesus to return to the sweet by and by. It is something for people to be living, to be a living, breathing organism, the church. It's supposed to be expanding. You know, last time I checked, when someplace has gates on it, it's one of two reasons, either to keep people out or to keep people in. Who has gates in this, in this scenario? Is it heaven or is it hell? It's hell. We are the ones that are meant to be advancing on the gates of hell. We are the ones that are meant to be going into the dark places. We are the ones that are meant to be 
taking the gates of hell by full force, reaching out, finding people where they are, where they're hurting, where they're sick, where they're dying, and showing them what God has to offer. That is what the church is all about. And that is why my church is kind of a big deal. Because it's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It is all about what Jesus did in dying for those people who still have not found him. You can say amen to that. Amen. My church is kind of a big deal. So here's what we're going to do in this series. Our goal for this series, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to lay it out here. All the cards on the table. Our goal for this series is that we're going to be bold. We're going to ask you to serve. Our goal for this is we want to get you involved in this church, not just coming and observing, not just coming and attending, but we want you to get involved. Serve the church financially. Serve the church through getting here and helping. What can I do? Volunteering areas, holding the doors open for people. We need people up in the production booth, run the computer, run the lights. If you don't know how, we'll teach you. We need people to help out in the children's areas. We need people in so many different areas, more areas than you can even see. And you know what? It is an amazing opportunity for all of us to serve. I honestly believe that this is the greatest thing that I'm ever going to be a part of. The staff does too, and we believe this is the greatest thing that you have the opportunity to be a part of because it's something bigger than you. Where else can you be a part of something that's actually changing people's lives, that's making a difference in people's lives? Where else can you be a part of that? It's an amazing opportunity. And so we're going to ask you in this series to talk to God, pray about it, and figure out a place where you can serve. God has gifted every single one of you individually to be a part and serve in some way or another. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.